earlier this morning in our responsive reading, we heard from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we are to give ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice before God, that this is worship that is pleasing to Him. And the passage of Scripture goes on to say that we're not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Church, the God that we serve, the one and only God, the Almighty God, is a God who knows what is best for us. And He is a God who wants what is best for us. He knows that the best thing for us is to enjoy a relationship with Him, a right relationship with Him, and to live our lives worshiping Him and for His glory. You see, He is our Creator, and He has fashioned each of us in His image, in His likeness. And because we are dependent on Him for all things, there is nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling than knowing Him and living for Him. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal has been credited with conveying that there is an infinite abyss in all of us, all people, that can only be adequately filled by God. And if you know God, if you have encountered the presence of God and the glory of God and given your life for God and to God to be used by Him, entering into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then you know that there is nothing else in all of this life that satisfies like God satisfies. Yet as people, we are prone to forget God, are we not? I don't mean that we're prone to forget God, perhaps in the same way that we might forget a quote from our favorite movie, but uh, we're prone to forget God because although we know who God is, what His Word says about His character and who He is, we often live as if those things are not true about God. We've all inherited a, a sin nature. We are prone to wonder, to drift away from, from our Lord, from the only God. Yet God is a God who loves us with an unfailing love. God is a God who is patient with us, and He calls us to return to Him. In fact, God knows all about us. He knows our failures. He knows our limitations. He knows our shortcomings. But even so, the God who knows us calls us to revitalize our faith and to remember His promises. The one and only God, creator of all things, sustainer of the universe and the redeemer of life in and through His Son, Jesus Christ, this God who knows us calls each of us to revitalize our faith in Him and to remember His promises. I think that's the central truth that we will see this morning as we open God's Word together. So let me invite you once again to open uh, the Bible with me to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 35. We'll be in Genesis chapter 35 this morning as we uh, look at our final passage and our final message in this series uh, that is titled Fixer Upper. But Genesis chapter 35, and as you find your way there, let me invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 35, beginning in verse 1, and there God's Word reads this way. I'm going to read all 29 verses of it, so don't lock your knees. Then God said to Jacob, 
Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Verse 4, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. But Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel in the land of Canaan, and there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah... Rebekah's nurse died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel, so it was named Alon Bakuth. Verse 9, after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Verse 16, then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Oni, but his father named him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel, referring to Jacob, moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. Jacob had 12 sons, the sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's servant, Bilhah, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's servant, Zilpah, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Jacob came home to his father Isaac in Mamre near Kiriath Arba. That is Hebron where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of years. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Father, we pray now that your spirit would guide us as we seek to rightly interpret, understand, and apply your word to our lives as your people today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. If you happen to miss last week in this journey, then uh, you missed a real doozy of a story. Not my story, but uh, God's story. And you'll remember that Jacob and his household have acquired great possessions. And they set out from Laban, his father-in-law's household, 
uh, and safely return to the land of promise. They safely return to the promised land, the land of Abraham and Isaac, the land of Jacob's fathers, and the land that God had promised to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's descendants. And God had miraculously and suddenly intervened in Jacob's life and in Esau, his brother's life, and brought them into uh, a restored relationship with one another, a reconciled relationship with one another after many years of hostility toward uh, one another. And now Jacob has worshipped in that land. End of verse 30, of chapter 33, he, he worships God. And then enter chapter 34. Jacob and his household settle down among the pagans. They get spiritually complacent in the land and the result is disastrous. As one sin leads to another sin, which leads to another sin. And as a reader, reading this story in the context of, of Jacob's life, in the context of Genesis, there could be no more welcomed words than the opening words of chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob. After an entire story, an entire chapter of no mention of God, God appears once again and he speaks to Jacob. And he tells him, verse 1, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. It's almost as if God is saying to Jacob, Remember when you had set out and you were running away from home for your very life. Remember when your own selfish pursuits and ambitions got you into trouble with your brother Esau who wanted to take your life and you became a fugitive fleeing from home. Remember that as you fled from home, I appeared to you at night in a dream. And I said that I was your God, that I would be with you, that I would protect you, that I would bless you and your offspring. And church, you may remember that in response to that appearance from God, those words from God, Jacob vowed to worship God. He vowed a life of faithfulness to God if God would indeed be faithful to him and bring him back to the land of his fathers. And the God who is always faithful, the God who has an unfailing love, faithfulness, as the psalmist states, reaches to the heavens, stretches to the skies. This God was indeed, of course, faithful to Jacob. Yet once again, Jacob produce less than desirable devotion to God. And he needed to be reminded of the commitment that he had earlier made to God. And so God essentially said to Jacob, return to that place where I appeared to you before. You've settled here in Shechem, but go back to Bethel where I appeared to you, reminding him that he was the same God, that he was a God who had not left him, a God who would continue to to be with him. Jacob needed to renew his commitment to God. He needed to be reminded of God's promises uh, to him. And as you know, by now, today is uh, Valentine's Day. Today is a celebrated holiday among many when many couples uh, express their love to each other, their commitment to each other. Perhaps some renew their commitment to each other or remember promises that they had once made to each other. And Certainly, we often need to be reminded of promises that we have made to others, not least of which perhaps may be our spouse. And God's people often need reminding of their commitment to Him as well. 
We see here in this story, this portion of Jacob's life, Genesis chapter 35 and verses 1 through 4, that God's people often need reminding of their commitment to him. And the reason that we need reminding is because we are prone to forget. We are prone to go our own way. We are prone to drift away from God and full commitment to God. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey this morning. Perhaps you are a believer. Perhaps you are a Christian, meaning that you have repented of your sin and you've given your life to God. You've acknowledged that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, that He is the Lord of your life. But perhaps you've been drifting in your spiritual journey. Perhaps you have been wandering from the Lord. And if that is you today, then based upon the Word of God and the truths of God's Word, let me urge you to repent of wandering. Repent of wandering. Turn away from a Christ-less life and return to a Christ-centered life. Return to, to the Lord for the Lord is calling you and desires for you to return to Him and to be renewed into right relationship with Him. Notice what Jacob tells his his household here in Genesis chapter 35. After the Lord appears to him and says, Jacob, go back to Bethel and worship me. Jacob turns around in verse 2 and he says to his household, he says, get rid of the foreign gods you have among you. Get rid of those false gods because we're getting ready to go and we're going to worship the one God, the true God. We're going to worship God Almighty. Further confirmation that Jacob and his household, particularly his household, had settled down among pagans and pagan society in which they lived that worshipped many gods and false gods had, had impacted them, had influenced them, had infiltrated, infiltrated their own house where at least some of them were sharing the worship that God alone deserves with other false idols, other false gods. And the God of Scripture, the one and only God, will not share His glory with any other false gods. For there is no God besides Him. Perhaps there are some things in your life or in my life today that are interfering with our complete and full devotion to God. Perhaps there are some things in our own lives that need to be repented of and eradicated in our own lives as we express total devotion to the one true God, the God who has created us and called us and redeemed us in and through Jesus Christ. Perhaps in your life, you need to repent of too much devotion to a particular hobby or sport that interferes with your walk with God. Perhaps for others, it's the pursuit of a career and climbing the corporate ladder of success that overshadows your walk with the Lord. Perhaps with others, it's an addiction or pornography or an unhealthy relationship that hinders your walk with the Lord. Whatever it is, if there is anything that is interfering with your walk with the Lord today, let me encourage you to repent of wondering and to return to the Lord. So that you may be reminded, so that we may be reminded as repentant sinners of the promises that God has made and the plan that God has for His people. And one way we are reminded of God and what He has done, church, is by recording what He has done in our lives. So let me invite you, let me encourage you as another point of application for this text to record your spiritual journey. To record your spiritual journey, to write down what God has done in your life and is doing in your life. In other words, to... To start a spiritual journal. Notice here that 
Jacob says, get rid of these things, for we're going to worship God. And we're not just going to worship any God. We're going to worship the God, in verse 3, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. In other words, though Jacob may have wandered from God, God never wandered from Jacob. God was continually faithful to Jacob. And Jacob here is reminding himself and reminding his family that God has indeed been faithful to him. As we write down, as we record what God has done in our own lives, we can go back and we can be reminded again and again and again what God has done in and for us for his glory. So repent of wonder and record your spiritual journey. Third point of application, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. I have an opportunity next week to observe believers' baptism once again. And every time we as believers observe baptism, we ought to be reminded of our own baptism. We ought to be reminded of the transformation that, brought, that God has brought about in, in our own lives. Notice what Jacob says to his family here, here in verse 2. He says, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. In other words, get ready to worship. Prepare yourself to worship God. This is outward acts of ritual purification that foreshadow the preparation and purification process that the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would have to to partake of, to, to practice under the law in order to enter into the presence of God. And as Christians living today, as God's people living today, we don't we don't practice such ritualistic, so to speak, acts of purification. Rather, we look back to the cleansing work of the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus poured out on our behalf, in our place, that allows us to enter boldly, confidently into the presence of our Maker in order to worship Him. And we remember the sign of our receiving that gift, the sign of that covenant, the sign of our faith, which is our baptism. An outward display of something God has done in us and through us. Transformation that He has brought about. A sign that reveals our identity with Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as the new life. A sign that reveals the new life that we have in Him. and A sign that also portrays the, the dwelling of God's Spirit in us as participants in that new covenant. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that God was calling Jacob to return to Bethel was because that would take him down memory lane. That would remind him as he feared for his own life and the lives of his families. Remember at the end of chapter 34 that Jacob expresses fear as a result of the outrageous retaliation and wickedness of his sons in Shechem. He expresses fear for his own life. Perhaps his reputation has been ruined among a pagan peoples. And yet God reminds him to return to Bethel as a way of reminding him that, that the same God who spoke to him in Bethel and who appeared to him in Bethel was indeed with him today and would continue with him. And likewise, church, our baptism, remembering our baptism, recalling our conversion can serve as a reminder of who we are in Christ and who is with us by his Spirit. So remember your baptism. Another point of application for, I think, this passage for our lives today is that we ought to be people who are practicing thanksgiving. Practice thanksgiving. Church, we're prone to wonder. We're prone to forget. 
prone to drift away from a life that is characterized by complete and total devotion to God. And yet when we follow the practice of the hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, when we engage in thanksgiving, when we practice thanksgiving, naturally engage in a way of revitalizing our faith and renewing our commitment to God because we're reminded of God and His promises and what He has done for us. Church, the God who knows us calls us to revitalize our faith and to remember His promises. And one other way that we do that is by participating in worship. Participate in worship. Jacob told his family, he says, we're going to Bethel. Come on, prepare to worship God. We're going to Bethel. And he says, I will build an altar there to God, an act of worship, an outward expression of his worship and devotion to God. Church, none of us are called to simply sit and watch, to stand by as others participate in worship. As God's people, we are called individually as families, as a a church body to engage and participate in worshiping God, for He is worthy of our worship and our praise. Friends, God's people often need reminding of their commitment to Him. And secondly, we learn from Genesis chapter 35 that God assures His faithful people of His promises to them. God assures His faithful people of His promises. Does anyone struggle with doubt? A tendency to doubt? perhaps to doubt God, to question God. I think to a certain extent, maybe Jacob struggled with doubt. Maybe like Isaac and Moses and Peter and Thomas, maybe Jacob struggled with doubt because here Jacob needed a reminder. He needed assurance. He needed confirmation that what God had promised his fathers and what God had earlier promised him would indeed come about in in his life. God gives him that Assurance, firstly, in verse 5, by causing a terror to call on, to fall on all the people who are around him, answering his fear. And secondly, then in Bethel, in verses 11 and 12, he says to Jacob, he says, I am God Almighty. If God introduces himself that way, you're probably going to listen to what he says. He says, I am God Almighty. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation And a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. In other words, God promises Jacob that the promises that he had earlier made to Abraham, his grandfather, and Isaac, his father, and earlier to Jacob, would indeed come about among Jacob's descendants. Jacob's descendants would inherit this land, that their descendants would be numerous, that that a community of nations, a community of peoples, a multitude, in other words, of peoples would come from Jacob's offspring. Church, how ironic is it that this family, characterized by broken community time and time and time again, would be the family that God would use to bring about many communities of His people, just like this community and many others that are gathered as a church this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yet that's the way that God often operates. In fact, Paul picked up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when 
He invited believers to consider who they were when they became believers. Remember who you were when God called you. He says, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were grand. Not many of you were powerful by any worldly standards. Then he goes on and he says, therefore let anyone who boasts, boast in the Lord. Church, this is the way that God operates. Taking what is weak and making it strong by taking the unimpressive and using it for his for his glory well here God appeared to Jacob in Genesis 35 and affirmed his promises to Jacob and to his offspring a plan that would bring about redemption for many people throughout the world that they would enter into a right relationship with God that they would worship this God and the response of Jacob was to worship God He built an altar. He set up a pillar. He named the place Bethel, meaning house of God. In other words, he commemorated this event. He commemorated what God had done so that he would never forget it. And not only so that he would never forget it, but so that others would never forget it as well. Church, likewise, we too ought to commemorate what God has said and what God has done. And one way that we can do so is to observe God's activity. Observe God's activity. By this, I don't mean to sit back as in an observatory and to watch what God has done. Maybe there's an element of that, but to utilize language that represents what God has done. To engage in God-ordained practices that remind us of what God has done and proclaim to others what God has done. In other words, call God Father if you are a believer because... He has invited you and adopted you to be His children through the blood of Jesus Christ. Participate in the Lord's Supper because by doing so, you are proclaiming what Christ has done for us and anticipating the fulfillment of God's promises through the return of Christ. Observe God's activity. And secondly, let's read God's promises. Let's read God's promises. Probably God is not appearing to you and speaking to you in the same way that He did to Jacob. He's not doing that to me But God has spoken to you, and God has spoken to me, and He has spoken to the world through this book, a record of His Word, a record of His promises that will come about because He is a faithful God who is always faithful to His promises. So as people of faith in the God of the Bible, let's read and remind ourselves again and again and again of the promises of our great God. Let's read John 14 where Jesus says that He is the way to the Father and that He is going to prepare a place for us and that He will return to gather us as His people to spend eternity with Him. Let's let's read Matthew 28 where Jesus tells His followers that He will be with them always as they go into the world to declare the good news of the gospel. And let's read Revelation chapter 22, verse 7 where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Sovereign King, the Lamb of God says... Behold, I am coming soon. Let's observe God's activity and let's read God's promises because the God who knows us calls us to revitalize our faith in Him and to remember His promises. And then finally, the final truth that I want us to see from this story of God's Word is that God's faithfulness to His promises continue in spite of sin and death. God's faithfulness to His Word, to His promises, continues in spite of human sin and in spite of human death. And we don't have time to jump into the second half of 
this chapter this morning, but there is a hint of hope in that portion of the chapter. It's the birth of another son, a final son. There's the birth of Benjamin, and there's a, a recording of Jacob's 12 sons, but the overall tone of the conclusion of this chapter is not such a positive one. I think the overall tone is that of grievous sin, the mentioning of Reuben's sin in verse 22, and of death, the mentioning of Rachel's death and childbirth. Jacob's beloved wife has died. And then at the end, Isaac has died. People who are near to Jacob, some of the people who perhaps are the most dearest to Jacob are, are dying. And it's as if through this story and the conclusion of one generation for the rest of Genesis will be about Jacob's descendants, his offspring, God is saying that his faithfulness will continue to his promises. Because the God that we serve, the God that we worship, is the the sovereign and eternal God whose plan and power and provision and purposes span the generations. He is not bound by human generations. So church, as people who have benefited greatly by the great plan of the eternal God, let's embrace the significance of, and the sovereignty of God. Let's embrace the significance and the sovereignty of the God that we worship. For just like Jacob, our plans are often interrupted. We don't often get to see the fulfillment of God's plans for His people on this life. Because just like with Jacob, death often interrupts. But church, even so, we have a hope that extends far beyond this life, far beyond physical death, because we serve a God whose plans span the generations, whose significance is far greater than any one of us, and whose sovereignty lasts for eternity. Those people of faith in that God, let's look to the faithfulness of that God, a faithfulness that has led God to be faithful toward us as His people time and time and time again. A faithfulness that led Him to come to us on a rescue mission for us through the gift of His Son on the cross of Calvary, dying in our place that we might have life in Him. And a God whose faithfulness leads Him to continue working in your life and in my life by His Spirit and preparing you and preparing me for the day of His return that we might enjoy His glorious presence for all of eternity. Let's revitalize our faith in this God. Let's renew our commitment to this God who knows us and despite our limitations, despite our sins, despite our failures, continues in faithfulness toward his promises and toward his people. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to open your word. Once again, we thank you for the freedom and the privilege to gather in your name openly, to come together with other believers, other followers of Jesus Christ, to lift high the name of Christ and to invite you to speak to us and to lead us and to transform us and to mold us and to make us and to use us for your glory. And so, Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would continue to do so. Father, I thank you for the privilege once again of opening your word, of proclaiming your truths. I pray that you would continue to apply the truths of your words to our lives as your people. Lead us now as we respond to you to respond in faithfulness, to respond in love, to respond in renewed commitment to you for you are worthy of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.